Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and hope you had a good Christmas or Hanukkah or Festivus or whatever else other people celebrate this time of year. Um, maybe you're you're driving or flying back home today from visiting family, and uh, hopefully this next 45 minutes or so We'll give you a nice little escape from the the holiday stress. Um, Nothing special really about today's episode, just the classic tale of what might be one of America's most famous, he is one of, he's maybe the uh, most famous uh, serial killer in American history, and that is Ted Bundy. Theodore Robert Bundy was born on November 24th, 1946, somewhere in Vermont. Uh, His biological father has actually never been confirmed, which that's, first of all, that's a great way to start a healthy, stable life is just never knowing who your actual father was. Um, His birth certificate uh, assigned paternity to an Air Force veteran named Lloyd Marshall. However, uh, Bundy's mother claimed that she had been seduced uh, by a sailor named Jack Worthington, which sounds like a made-up name for sure. Um, others suspected, however, that Bundy uh, was actually fathered by his abusive grandfather uh, or his mother's father, gross, um, a man named Samuel Cowell, which, look, in hindsight, especially knowing what we know about Bundy now, makes a ton of sense. He, you know, you have to be somewhat inbred in some way to be a serial killer. I, you know, look at look at guys like uh, Henry Lee Lucas, a lot of inbreeding there, probably uh, Carol Cole, uh, maybe some there if going all the way back to episode number two. Um, so yeah, you know, I think, you know, look, not all serial killers are inbred. But there's a pretty good chance that most inbred people are serial killers. I have no data to back that up, but that's just a good shot in the dark. Um, Bund, uh, Bundy spent the first few years of his life living with the Cowell family who raised the, uh, who raised him as their own son to avoid the stigma of their daughter basically having a, a bastard child with some random soldier. Um, and look, growing up in a military town, especially like Eastern North Carolina, where there's a bunch of military towns, these women exist, all right? They're, it's these women who just, the the thought of a man in uniform, and they just, just get it on with all these soldiers, some of them get married just to get those sweet military benefits and all of that, and it's, it's unfortunate and kind of annoying, but it is what it is. Um, while Bundy's grandfather was just beating everyone uh, to cope with that, Bundy's grandmother uh, regularly underwent electroconvulsive therapy for her own mental issues. And in the 50s and 60s, when this is going on, electroconvulsive therapy, um, not not exactly the safest or most reliable. And basically what happens was is like, it's a procedure where you get hooked up to a bunch of wires and diodes and stuff like that. And, and electric currents are shot directly into your brain, which causes seizures. 
And seizures on their own, not really a great thing to have. So to artificially create seizures as a way to combat depression, um, not, I don't know. I, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Also, you know, I get the logic though. Like it's really hard to be sad when you are twitchy and unconscious and foaming at the mouth because you're having a seizure. So I don't know. <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers. Um, when Bundy was only four years old, his mother abruptly left, um, living with her parents and moved Ted with her to Tacoma, Washington to live with her cousin. And then there while in Tacoma, uh, at a singles night at a local Methodist church, uh, Bundy's mother met a man named Johnny Bundy. And so, um, they fell in love and Johnny became like a father to Ted. And that's why Ted ended up taking his last name uh, because it was really the only father that he ever knew. And so after moving to Washington, Bundy had a fairly normal childhood. Um, he eventually grew up to attend the university of Washington to study Chinese um, because he had a lot of political aspirations. And I, I, I don't know, maybe he just liked Chinese people um, while he was at a, you dub. Um, he began dating a girl named Stephanie Brooks before he decided to drop out of school and just go ahead and enter the workforce. Um, he got, uh, he, he volunteered really as part of, uh, Nelson Rockefeller's presidential campaign and actually got so deep into it that he was able to represent Rockefeller as a delegate at the 1968 Republican national convention in Miami. Um, but Stephanie Brooks wasn't super impressed with Bundy's political career. She didn't really think it was going to go anywhere. So she ended the relationship for that. And she also felt like he just wasn't mature enough. Like he wasn't on her level. She was ready to settle down. Um, he didn't have a college degree. So it almost really seemed like his future wasn't super stable, you know, and, and it's like, like he wasn't going to be a really good politician because people place these just super ridiculous standards on politicians. And I get that like it's people that you're electing to make decisions, but also like how many years have we been electing lawyers and doctors and uh you know other <laughs> you know stereotypically high-ranking members of society to these elected positions just to be endlessly frustrated with them. So like does having a college degree even matter at this point? Probably not. It's not going to be any worse, I don't think. But Stephanie had standards, and and Bundy just wasn't there. He just wasn't meeting him, and so she broke it off. And this uh, this breakup just absolutely devastated Ted Bundy. And this was the start of his villain arc, as the kids would say. Just the 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 switch got flipped, and he completely changes. And he resolved to prove to Stephanie that she was going to be wrong about him, that he was going to be super, super awesome. So Bundy super motivated. Now he re-enrolls at the university of Washington and graduates with his degree in psychology with honors. So good for him. Um, he then joined governor Daniel J Evans reelection campaign and actually helped him win the election by doing a little spying on Evans opponent, Albert D Rossellini, uh, Bundy even re that was enough actually to rekindle the relationship with Brooks who by now had moved to California, but had become just 
awestruck and infatuated by Bundy's newfound ambition, his career, his college degree, like he had transformed himself into everything Brooks wanted. But unbeknownst to Brooks at the time, Bundy was also seeing a woman named Elizabeth Klopfer, uh, a divorcee from Utah who was working as a secretary at the University of Washington at the same time. And Bundy would just kind of go back and forth between the two and keep each other a secret. Um, for the next year though, Bundy and Brooks continue to get closer and closer. Brooks even began entertaining the idea of possibly marrying Bundy. Um, even though Bundy was still splitting time between his professional life and his relationship with Cloffer in Seattle and Brooks in California. And then without warning, just out of the blue, Bundy just cuts off communication with Brooks. He stops returning her calls, stops writing back all of it, just totally off the grid. And Brooks like kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. And she finally gets up with Bundy and just demands to know why he had stopped talking to her. And Bundy just like flatly, coldly was just like, I don't know what you mean. And then he hangs up the phone and the two never spoke again. That was the last time she ever heard from him. And all along, like Bundy had never actually wanted to be in a relationship again with Brooks. He just wanted to prove to himself that he could have married her if he wanted. And so he had basically just spent the last few years. He went back to college. He got deeper into politics. He got a career and he did all of it as just this giant revenge plot, just like the coldest revenge plot in the history of bad relationships. And so, true psychopath at this point like she broke him and then he was just like huh i'll I'll show you and then he shows her legitimately shows her and then he's like "Uh uh-uh i got the power now girlfriend and just breaks off the relationship so with his passive aggressive revenge on brooks complete bundy then picks up a new hobby which is just violently murdering any woman who vaguely looked like Stephanie Brooks because sometimes, man, you just can't get over things. And so shortly after the relationship ended with Brooks, Bundy broke into the uh, basement apartment of 18-year-old Karen Sparks, a dancer and a student at the University of Washington who uh, looked a little bit like Stephanie Brooks. And if you go and if you look at pictures of all of Bundy's victims, most of them look or have some feature similar to Stephanie Brooks. Um, And so this first time he breaks into this basement apartment, he rips a metal pole off of Sparks' bed and just beats her senseless with it. Um, And when he was done, uh, he decided that, you know, Sparks, she's just laying there unconscious. And so he's like, well, God, I have this metal pole. What do I do with it? I can't take it with me. I don't have a use for a metal pole. Um, I can't stick it back on the bed because I think I broke it off. So where can I put this metal pole? Oh, I'll just shove it inside of one of these one of these holes down here in the bottom of this girl that I just beat to death. And that's what he did. Um, she ended up surviving like she wasn't dead, but she remained unconscious for 10 days and ended up... Uh, suffering permanent disability because of this attack. 
Um, less than a month later, Bundy then broke into another basement apartment. This one occupied by Linda Ann Healy, who was another student at the University of Washington who broadcast the morning weather reports for skiers. Um, Bundy beat her unconscious and then decided to dress her in blue jeans, a white blouse and boots before just carrying her off to Taylor mountain and dumping her body out in the woods. Um, for the next four months, women would just disappear randomly from college towns all across Washington and Oregon. There was Donna Gail Mason in March, uh, Susan Elaine Rancor in April, Roberta Kathleen Parks in May, and then Brenda Carabal in June. Like he's just got to do like one a month, which I like the consistency. All right. I love a serial killer who at least is organized, has a plan. He's not just going out killing people all willy nilly. All right. Very systematic. Love it. All right. Um, in almost every instances with these killings, the victims were last seen uh, by witnesses talking to a man wearing an arm sling and driving a Volkswagen Beetle. And that was kind of his thing. If he wasn't breaking into basement apartments, he was kind of like doing this little shtick where he was like, oh, my arm's broken. I need some help. I'm not going to talk to any of these dudes. I need a woman's help. And so... um, on July 14th of whatever year this is, I don't even know, um, <laughs> like 1974, um, he he got a little brave, right? Like he's killed four or five people at this point. So he showed up in the middle of the day to Lake Sammamish State Park in Issaquah, Washington. He's got his trusty arm sling and he's asking all of the pretty girls at the lake if they could just help him unload a sailboat from his Volkswagen Beetle. All right. And that's a weird request. All right. First of all, I don't know how, like it must've been a really small sailboat to fit in a Volkswagen Beetle. Really? Like, I don't even, even if it's a mini sailboat, I don't know if a sailboat big enough to fit a full person could fit in a Volkswagen Beetle. Maybe it was like a remote controlled sailboat. That'd be kind of cool. Um, (laughs) Of the six women he approached to ask this, he actually ended up coercing two of these girls into leaving with him because women are just compassionate enough to help this creepy dork with an apparent broken arm go sailing. Like, who's showing up to a lake to go sailing with a broken arm? That just seems like a lot of unnecessary work. Women. Um, (laughs) I can't. Um, Later that night, uh, Derice, uh, Denise Marie Nasland was forced to then just watch Bundy murder the other girl that had gone with them, uh, Janice Marie Ott. And word got back out that these two girls, they were seen with him, they left with him, and then they both show up dead. Like, he ended up killing Denise as well. But he does this in the middle of the day, and a bunch of people saw him. So since Bundy had, like, creeped out so many women during the day, Word got around, you know, the other women that had said no went to police. And so uh, police and and other investigators immediately kind of connected him to these other disappearances. And they actually had several details of the suspected killer. And they were actually beginning to post flyers all over the Seattle area. Um, A few people, including Cloffer, who was Bundy's girlfriend, who had somehow been completely oblivious to his weird behavior and his other relationship with Brooks. 
um, recognized Bundy in the police description. His own girlfriend recognizes him in the police description. However, there were over 200 tips coming in every single day. Cloffer sent in the tip and told police like, hey, I think my boyfriend's a serial killer. And police looked into him as a suspect, but they completely discounted it because he had a clean record and he had he had a great reputation as a student. So by August of 1974, Bundy uh, was accepted to the University of Utah Law School and moved over to Salt Lake City. Um, he soon realized, though, that law school was like way above his intellectual capabilities. And so, again, he's devastated. He feels like a failure. And so the way he copes with being a failure is by murdering more people. And so on September 2nd, Bundy raped and strangled a hitchhiker in Idaho. You know, I guess kind of back going back and forth between Seattle and Salt Lake City. Um, just for fun, he returned to the scene of the crime the next day to photograph and dismember the corpse, which is classic serial killer. A month later... Uh, he kidnapped, rape, and then, according to him, he accidentally strangled uh, 16-year-old Nancy Wilcox. Um, two other underage girls disappeared from Utah neighborhoods that same month and were later uh, discovered with the cause of death being strangled by pantyhose. So, you know, it, probably an accident too, right? Uh, a month later, Bundy approached 18-year-old Carol DeRanch and identified himself as a police officer, which, not legal, but what what has he done that is legal? Um, he told DeRanch that someone had tried to break into her car and that she needed to go with him downtown to the police station to file a report. So, um, it seemed reasonable. Why would she not believe this man who wasn't driving a police car or wearing a police uniform or anything like that? But whatever. Um, she also quickly realized that Bundy wasn't actually driving to the police station. And look, to Bundy's credit, no woman ever knows where anything is. Like, I have, I, like, GPS has been a lifesaver for so many women. And this sounds sexist, but. I have, I, I don't know personally any woman who doesn't know how to get anywhere. Like she might know how to get to work and she might know how to get home from work. All right. But if she is going to a restaurant to meet with friends, she has to Google, Google map it, how to get there. She then also has to Google map how to get home from there. <laughs> and like for me, for someone who, like, if I've never been to a place, I might need to Google map it the first time. I never need to do it again after that. I'm also autistic, so that's kind of my superpower. But it, it blows my mind how reliant people are on GPS. And so, like, if a giant solar flare knocks out all the GPS communications, I'll be fine. The world will crumble around me because no one will know where to get how to get anywhere. But it's beside the point. Um, Bundy... He did not account for this. Why would he? So he realizes, okay, he's been caught. So he just stops the car and tries to handcuff this girl. She puts up a fight. So she's really like defying the odds here. And in the struggle, Bundy accidentally cuffed the same wrist, which allowed Durant to escape. Um, that doesn't stop him. 
and Durant doesn't really do anything, um, you know, about it. She just goes off and lives her life. Um, on August, uh, no, sorry. Over the next seven months in Utah, uh, six more women disappeared between Utah and Colorado and to kind of, I guess, like build up his reputation in Utah because like, you know, back in Seattle, he had a good reputation. He was a, you know, no criminal record, great student. He didn't have that necessarily in Utah. So he gets baptized in the Mormon church. You know, he's just fully invested in this community. He becomes a Mormon or at least, you know, on the outside and just kind of pretends like he's a really great guy. Um, on August 16th, 1975, Bundy was then pulled over by highway patrol officer in the Salt Lake city suburb of Granger. Uh, after the officer noticed that the passenger seat of Bundy's Volkswagen Beetle was missing. He's still driving this Beetle, by the way, like back at the lake in Washington, where he like is creeping out all these girls. No one thought to write down the license plate number. And so he's just been driving the same car for years. Um, Somehow, though, he like he just removed the passenger seat and police thought that was a little strange. So when the officer searched the car, he found some other things that were curious. He found a ski mask, uh, another mask made of pantyhose. He found a crowbar, handcuffs, trash bags, rope, an ice pick uh, and just other items that would be classified as really suspicious. And the officer decided to arrest Bundy, but he ended up getting released a short time later on his own recognizance because, um, I don't know, maybe it was just completely plausible to these people in Utah that Bundy was just about to go, I don't know, clean off the side of an icy rock wall or something. I don't know. I don't know how you let him go on that. Like you clearly, you see that you have caught a murderer. Now you just need to figure out how to detain him until you can prove that he was a murderer. You can't have all of these murder tools in your car and not like who's driving around with all of these things and, and, and is not a murderer, right? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone picking up trash on a glacier. I don't know. Um, by now, however, by the time he's arrested in Granger, uh, police in Seattle were actually starting to believe that Bundy was behind all of the disappearances and gruesome murders in that area because when he moved to Utah, girls stopped disappearing. Like, college girls were safe again. Um, But back in Utah, Bundy's free. He finally decides to sell the Beetle to a teenager, but police are hot on his tail. They come in, they find it, and they seize it and dismantle it. And in the Beetle, they find DNA from three different missing women. Um... Bundy was tracked down. He was brought back in for a police lineup and guess who they found? They found Carol Durant, the, the girl that he was a fake police officer to and tried to convince uh, him to her to get in his car so he could murder her. Um, she quickly points him out as that fake police officer who had tried to kidnap her. And this gave uh, authorities at least enough evidence to book and detain Bundy on aggravated kidnapping and attempted assault. Now, uh, thanks to America's wholly broken justice system, Bundy was released on a $15,000 bond. And like to his, like to police's credit, like even though he was free, he was kept under close surveillance. Um, he went back to Seattle 
and he's still with Elizabeth Cloffer. Like, girlfriend has no idea how much of a murderer her boyfriend is. But um, either that or she just had no self-esteem whatsoever. And Bundy, at this point, is under such close surveillance that Cloffer noticed that anytime they ever left their apartment and went out on a date, dozens of unmarked police cars would crank their engines simultaneously. Which, first of all, how bad are you at surveillance that you're just going to all start your cars? at the same? Why do they need 12 of them? It's insane. Um, why this woman continued to date a suspected serial killer has never been explained. Like, she never explained it. Just, I love him. Whatever. You're an insane person. Or maybe, I can change him. I can change him. No, you can't, honey. He's he's a murderer. And maybe, maybe look, to her credit, maybe she was scared that if she broke up with him, he'd come and kill her next. Fine. But also, I don't know, maybe really go to police and be like, my boyfriend is the serial killer you've been looking for. Please take him away. I am fearing for my life. And then maybe that solves the problems. Or I don't know. It's the 1970s. Women still weren't allowed to have opinions yet. So maybe that wasn't the case. I don't know. Um, Bundy was eventually kid, uh, convicted of the kidnapping and assault charges on Carol Durant, and He was sentenced um, to one to 15 years in Utah state prison, I guess, because Utah likes being really vague with their punishments. Like, how do you go? How do you do? a? Meh, we'll keep you for one year or we're going to keep you for 15. Just depends on how we're feeling. Um, while in prison though, police were continuing to do their work and Bundy was charged with the murder of, of one of the missing women in Colorado and was transferred to a prison in Aspen to await trial for that. Um, Bundy, who I like, I guess he clearly still wished he was a lawyer, even though he had dropped out of law school, he chose to serve as his own attorney. And so during the trial, the judge uh, excused Bundy from wearing handcuffs or leg shackles, which doesn't sound like a good idea in theory or on paper or in ever like you have a convicted murderer or at least a suspected murderer on your hands and you're not going to let them wear hand dude is suspected of killing multiple women at this point you're not going to keep him in shackles you're not going to you're just going to let him roam free around the court and let him play you know lawyer with himself that seems like a bad idea and guess what it was a bad idea Because during a recess in the trial, Bundy asked to visit the courthouse library to do some research on his case. And he's going through the library and he realizes like he can find certain angles where the security guards can't see what he's doing. And so he finds this angle conveniently in front of a window, opens it and jumps from the second story of the courthouse. He sprained his ankle on landing, but it wasn't bad enough that he couldn't keep running. And so he just escaped into the Colorado forest. Um, as he's running and hiding from the Aspen authorities, he breaks into this hunting cabin in the Aspen mountain wilderness. He steals food, clothing, and he steals a rifle. He's got a gun now. So now you've let an escaped or, 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 you know, a suspected murderer escape. And now he's got a weapon all because you didn't handcuff him. So he tried to hike south toward Crested Butte, but he got lost, which like the one of the few mistakes he actually made. 
But fortunately for him, he found another cabin, stole some more food and clothing because it's Colorado. It's a lot of snow up there. Um, three days later, he steals a car at the Aspen golf course and then just drives back to the city where police just like, I, I don't know what he was doing. He just drives back into Aspen where police immediately find him and rearrest him and send him back to jail. Uh, over the next six months, Bundy acquired a detailed floor plan of the prison. He somehow in jail gets a hacksaw. How do you get a hacksaw in prison? Not even just like a little shiv, like a whole hacksaw. Those things are pretty big, hard to sneak through. Okay. And he gets $500 in cash, which all involved help from this special, special woman named Carol Ann Boone, who is Bundy's brand new girlfriend that he knew uh, while working at the DES, which was the Department of Emergency Services. Because one detail that I actually left out is part of Bundy's job back in Seattle was suicide counseling. Like he worked as as like this suicide hotline employee in in Seattle, talking people down from killing themselves, maybe because he just wanted to kill them himself. I don't know. But Carol Ann Boone, she worked there. Um, he's still dating Elizabeth Cloffer at this point, but now he has this new girlfriend, Carol Ann Boone. Um, and so while the inmates were showering during the evening, Bundy, he's got his hacksaw and he knows the floor plan of the prison. And so while everyone else is showering, Bundy starts sawing a one foot square between the steel reinforcing bars in the, in the ceiling of the cells. Um, he also just essentially emaciated himself. He just stopped eating to the point where he lost 35 pounds and got made himself small enough that he could remove the cell bars and just escape through the crawl space in the ceiling. Um, he ended up landing in the, in the chief jailer's apartment who just so happened to be out that evening off duty with his wife on a date. Um, Bundy just rummaged through the apart the, the jailer's clothes and all of that, got some street clothes, and then he just walked right out the door. Didn't like wear a disguise or anything. He just changed clothes. And so, like, I don't know if the security guards are just so jaded at this point, where like they just don't realize, like, wait, that's the face of an inmate that I've seen here a bunch before. How is he in street? Did did he did we set him free? I thought he was serving a 15 year sentence. What's going on here? And, but he just walks right out the door of the jail cell. This dude's insane. Um, he then steals a car and drives out of town before it breaks down in the Colorado mountains. However, uh, a passerby gave Bundy a ride to the town of Vail, where he used his $500 to board a bus to Denver, which he then, uh, got on an airplane and flew to Chicago and at this point, by the time he gets to Chicago, that's when prison staff discover that he's gone. That's in like, that's bad. <laughs> that's real bad security. Um, from Chicago, Bundy then got on a train to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he stole a car and drove down to Atlanta. And then he got on a bus and arrived in Tallahassee, Florida on January 8th, 1978. Um, during his cross country trek, Bundy, had a change of heart, right? He refused, you know, he resolved to give up his life of murder 
and just find a respectable job and just kind of start over. And and he figured that he could do it in Florida because his personality fit right in with everyone else. And he figured that he would be fine as long as he just didn't attract any kind of police attention because Florida, like Arizona, is just full of former murderers, all right? There's no data to back that up. That's just the vibe that I get, all right? But Bundy, he legitimately has this change of heart. This isn't even a misdirection. Like, he really thinks that he's going to turn his life around. And that lasted for basically a week, all right? He had even, like, he had rented a room under the alias of Chris Hagen. He started looking for new jobs. And then he broke into the Chi Omega sorority house on the campus of Florida State University. And he just couldn't help himself because it's like, oh my God, there's more people that look like Stephanie Brooks that I must murder. So he grabbed a piece of firewood from the fireplace and bludgeoned Margaret Bowman with it before strangling her with a pair of pantyhose. He then went into Lisa Levy's room, strangled her, bites her left butt cheek for some reason, and then sexually assaults her with a hairspray bottle. He then goes to the next room and severely beats both Kathy Kleiner and Karen Chandler. And then... He leaves the sorority house and breaks into another residence eight blocks down the street and attacks Cheryl Thomas. She ended up surviving, but was left permanently deaf. I believe, if not everyone in the sorority house died, most of them did. Um, The next month, no one catches him, by the way. He just keeps going free. Uh, Bundy stole a Florida State University owned van and drove to Jacksonville where he creeped out another uh, or he creeped out a 14 year old girl by pretending to be a member of the fire department. However, uh, when the girl's brother arrived, uh, Bundy fled the scene and drove back west toward Lake City where he kidnapped 12 year old Kimberly Diane Leach and killed her and dumped her off at a hog farm west of Lake City. Like this is this is how you know you're you're just like you're just, you got to go balls to the wall at this point right like you you can't do anything halfway anymore right like you you have to be so unhinged that you're just like eh, let's just see what all i can get away with before i get it because he's in the middle of running away from another like someone defending someone he was trying to kidnap he then just goes and flees to another city and just immediately kidnaps another person while running away from someone else he can't be stopped he's just well he can be because he did um by by now he's really starting to feel paranoid that police were closing in on him and rightfully so uh so he steals another car and continues driving west um and on february 15th he's pulled over in pensacola Um, when an officer recognized that the vehicle he was in had been reported stolen. Uh, When the officer tried to place Bundy under arrest, Bundy kicked the officer's legs from under him and tries to run away. Bundy is so lucky that he just, every cop he ran into was like more incompetent and useless than the last. Um, After a short struggle though, Bundy was finally apprehended. Backup came. They all hauled him off to jail. And as he awaited sentencing for the arrest police realized like oh this guy isn't named chris hagan this is ted bundy who uh colorado has been looking for for a long time utah also probably has some interest in this um the trial goes on bundy being a real creeper 
uh, just all sorts of, you know, insanity. I mean, look, the trial it is what it is. Um, he was given three death sentences for several of the murders that he committed. Um, Bundy also during the trial asked Carol Ann Boone to marry him while she was testifying on his behalf. And then this dumb moron, no self-esteem, ugly hoe says yes to him. I, I, what happened to this girl in this girl's life that like, I hope like while she's sitting in the courtroom, she just kind of had that moment of clarity. Like I, I had a good life in Seattle and now I'm in a courtroom in Florida testifying in favor in defense of a serial killer who has killed dozens of women my age. And now he wants me to marry him. And guess what? I'm going to do it. I said, yes, I, how, how do you do that? How that's, that kind of person is almost more interesting to me than the actual serial killer themselves. Because how, how much do you have to hate yourself? How hopeless does your life have to be to not only defend us, but your honor, I love him. He's a good man. No, he's not, honey. You're an idiot. I hope if this woman is still alive, I hope she hears this, ma'am, you're you're, I can't believe that I'm the one who is considered disabled. All right. My autism spectrum disorder is considered a disability. And yet you, as someone who defended and then agreed to marry a serial killer is not considered mentally challenged. What is wrong with the world we live in? Anyway, thanks for letting me get that off my chest. Um, <laughs> guess what? No, hang on. No, because guess what? It gets worse. Three years later, Boone gives birth to a daughter and claims that Bundy is the father. You stupid hoe. You I hate you so much. I, I did not. I didn't expect to get this heated coming into this episode. God, I hate this woman so much. Just the preposterous, absurd level of stupidity that this single woman possessed. <sighs> anyway, um, just in case anyone else wasn't pissed off enough, Bundy also claimed uh, to find Jesus and became a born-again Christian uh, while he was awaiting his uh, death sentence. Um he was eventually fried in the electric chair on January 24th, 1989 in Stark, Florida. Uh, he confessed to committing more than 30 murders in a four year span, all because a woman broke up with him. Oh, so I want to take this moment to remind you to go follow the show on Instagram at our weird world pod. Um, I just need a, 
just needed a little palate cleanser because my I'm I'm legitimately angry at this woman. Uh chest feels a little tight, heart rate's elevated. I just oh god, this woman, man. <laughs> anyway, let's see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, Ted Bundy committed uh, over 30 murders, probably the most famous serial killer uh, in American history. Number two, hey, fellas. Yeah. Um, if a girl breaks up with you, and it's going to happen, all right? Uh, your boy's gone through some breakups, all right? Admittedly did not respond well to some of them, all right? I was a little immature, got a little angry, didn't murder anyone. Didn't murder 30 anyone's, all right? But it's going to hurt, all right? It's going to suck for a little bit. It sucks anytime someone says, I don't want you in my life anymore, all right? It's fine. I get it. But don't, don't, don't murder people. And don't murder people that look like the girl that broke up. That's an even worse reaction. Like, look, if we're, if we're in a vacuum... All right. And you have two choices. It's either murder the girl that broke up with you or murder 30 innocent girls that kind of look like the girl that broke up with you. Take the first option. Like, just get the one murder out of your system. If you can't have me, no one can. And or if I can't, uh, you get what I mean. And so, like, I'm not advocating for murdering someone. But like, if someone breaks up with you, don't go off and murder a bunch of other people because of it that's silly behavior all right and number three carol ann boone's the dumbest human being on the face of the earth all right i hope she hears this if and she might be dead and good i hope so if not she's probably like some 80 year old woman and god knows how you can live on this earth for 80 years and be that dumb she's got to be dead by now um but you know who's probably alive the daughter and if, and if this gets back to you somehow, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry your mother was just a complete idiot. And <laughs> just look, if Ted Bundy is your real father, I'm also sorry for that. Because uh, life probably wasn't very fun or easy for you. But I hope you, I hope you made something of it. Um, and hopefully, you know. You, you you hear my harsh criticisms of your mother as coming from a place of love and not just irrational anger, which I fear might be the case. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's it. We're done. Next week on Our Weird World, we're starting... 2023 uh with our second edition of the weird fun bag uh and look i'm not going to really tell you what we're gonna talk about all right i'm gonna let your mind wander for the next seven days all right i will tell you uh we're gonna be talking about oofty goofty the kentucky meat shower and the exploding trousers all right are those random events from history or are they x-rated sex acts that i found on urban dictionary uh, you will find out next week. And um, 
it's a good way to start the new year. Uh, definitely need need a good palate cleanser after the near aneurysm I just had yelling at Carol Ann Boone. Um, but that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for a wonderful 2022 uh, here on the podcast. Um, so many downloads. So many of you have reached out this year, um, you know, and, you know, shared your your feedback and your experience. I mean, I'm looking at the the chart right here and I mean the downloads from the first time this show started up until now it just it keeps going up and I really do appreciate all of you um closing in on uh almost 2000 or sorry almost 10,000 downloads uh since this show um went on the air we may even get to 10,000 uh by the time this episode airs but I really do appreciate all of you. Uh, thank you so much for listening and, and helping this show grow. And I would love to see it uh, just continue to grow and do more uh, in 2023. And that's that's the goal. And got some, got some fun episodes coming up uh, to close out uh, season three. When we And then we'll pick up season four uh, in March, kind of like we do. Um, just based on when the first day you get it anyway. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Keep telling all your friends. It's clearly working. You people are doing it, or at least some of you are, some of you are, I can see it. I see the numbers. And so, uh, with that, keep it weird. Plowing these fields in the hot summer sun, over by the gate, Lordy, here she comes, with a basket full of chicken and a big cold jug of sweet tea. I make a little room, and she climbs on up, open up a bottle, and stir a little dust. Just look at her face. She ain't fooling me. We ride back and forth till we run out of light. Take it to the barn, put it up for the night. Climb up in the loft, sit and talk with the radio on. She said she's got a dream, and I asked what it is. She wants a little farm and a yard full of kids. One more teeny weeny ride before we take her home. Well, She ain't into cars or pickup trucks, but if it runs like a deer, man, her eyes light up. She thinks my tractor's sexy. It really turns her on. She's always staring at me while I'm chugging along. She likes the way it's pulling while we're tilling up the land. She's even kind of crazy about my farmer's tan. She's the only one who really understands what gets me. She thinks my tractor's sexy. Uh, 